0: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 1 as we continue our sermon series, Worship by Design, that God has made each and every one of you fearfully and wonderfully, that God has made you in his image, that that you and I reflect who he is. And as he's made us in his image, we are worshipers. We will worship one thing or another. We will definitely worship. And by his grace and through the work of his Son, we are called back to do that which he created us to do, to, to worship him and to know and love him and to be known and loved by him. And to be remember the story over and over again. We gather each week and this week we're going to look at the word, the word of God, a part of our worship service each week that reminds us of that great story. Well, this was a banner week in my wife Katie's Maitland Community Preschool third grade or three year old class. Because this was the week that they read Green Eggs and Ham. How many people remember this classic, Green Eggs and Ham? I mean, come on. It's, it's one of the best. Actually, written by Dr. Seuss. It was published on August 12, 1960. It's the fourth all-time list of uh, children's books in the English language. And it's a story of a guy named, what's his name? Sam I am Sam I am loves green eggs and ham and what he's going to do is he's going to absolutely pester a nameless character in the book to try him try green eggs and ham you will like them Sam I am continually says it and the character says no I don't like green eggs and ham I don't like them Sam I am the Sam character I get him He's somebody who knows what he likes, and what he likes, he wants to share. He gets a little bit irritated. He wants to know, do you want to try it in a house? Do you want to try it with a mouse? Do you want to try it in a box? Do you want to try it with a fox? And he's somebody that's going to wear you down until you try what he likes. I think I've told you, if you have lunch with me, you're going to try what I like. No, no, really, I don't like it. No, try it. No, no, I'm allergic to it. No, no, try it. No, no, this is, this is really good stuff. Well, in the book... Sam-I-Am is very, very persistent, and eventually he has this character try green eggs and ham, and guess what? He likes them. I like green eggs and ham. I like them, Sam-I-Am. Thank you, thank you, he says. Well, after reading the story, uh, what is happening in the class is they actually make green eggs. They have ham. And they get to participate in the story themselves. They get to say, hey, I like green eggs and ham too. The story comes alive. It's more than just hearing the story. They experience the story. We see, as we gather each Sunday, we gather to hear God's story. God's story revealed to us in his Bible, in his word. And we gather together and we re- to be reminded week in and week out who he is and what he expects of us. How he loves and how we are forever changed because he delights in us. How he's made us new through the work of his son. Every week, we not only hear the story of God, right? For this, we gather and we participate in the story. This is a part of his story as we gather together. And the story comes alive when the story is our story. When we can say, I see myself in the story. I'm realizing that that this isn't just a story that God wants to tell somebody else. This is a story that God speaks into my life. This is a story that transforms me and makes me even more like the hero of his story, Jesus. How is it with you? Is this your story? Or is this a story that you've heard that's just a story out there? Let's look to God's word. We're going to look at Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 will will remind us of a psalmist who who delights in the story, who delights in the Word of God, because there he sees the fruit of life. There he sees how he is to live. And let's be mindful that God didn't give us this story just to to entertain us or just to listen to, that this is a story that we are to participate in. This is a story that, that we, by God's grace, when he gives us ears to hear, transforms us and changes our hearts of stone and gives us a a heart of flesh. So let us hear God's word, being mindful that that he would love us enough to to breathe his very being in the original uh, authors of this, that he is the author. And this story, it'll never lead us astray. And originally without any error. And it's God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man or blessed are the people who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord or the story of the Lord. And on his law, in his story, he he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he he prospers the wicked are not so but they are like chaff that the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish let us pray father god We delight in the fact that you would love us enough to speak to us, to give us a story that explains who you are and who we are. A story that tells us of a love that will never let us go and a story that reminds us that because of your love, you have sent a hero to come and to conquer us and to bring us back to yourself. And God, the reality is, is that you and you alone can be the storyteller of your own story. This is this is your story. And I'm a broken sinner. And how can I stand and, and tell your story? It's only by your grace and your design that you choose to to speak your story through a broken sinner like me. But God, would you come and would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your story? Would you, would you give us hearts that embrace the, the hero of your story, your, your only son, our Savior, Jesus? And God, would you be with us in the power of the Holy Spirit that that illumines this story, that we can understand it and embrace it, that the Holy Spirit will allow us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the storyline as your children, that you would give us hands that it not only embrace one another, but embrace our savior, the hero, Jesus. That as we hear the story, we'd be transformed by the story because it's yours. It's the gospel story. And the God that in a miraculous and marvelous way that only you could do, that even by subjecting ourselves again to your wonderful story, the greatest story ever told, the God, you would make each and every one of us, more like the hero, more like Jesus, your son, our savior. And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me as we dissect a little bit of of Psalm 1 this morning. And the first thing we're going to look at is that God has called us to be those who are delighting in God's story. Those of us who delight in the fact that God spoke to us. Those of us who delight in God's word. Delight, not drudgery. Delight in the story of of God's word that that he has given us this incredible story of who he is and and how he loves you and me. As we delight in it, I want you to delight in the, the beauty of this story. There's so many ways to delight in God's story, but it's an incredibly beautiful story. When you think of 66 books that were written in, in a couple different languages over thousands of years, you look at this story and think, oh my goodness, the story itself is actually an absolutely beautiful story. The, beautiful, the beautifulness of the poetry. The beautifulness of the symmetry. I don't know what you think about the Bible. And maybe it's not even a book you believe in. And I'm glad you're here. But there's one thing you can't argue about with the Bible that's written over such a long period of time with 66 books. It's absolutely beautiful story. It's incredible. In seminary, we take the Bible and what we do is we dissect it and you dissect it into different ways. It's like systematic theology where you take the Bible and you look at different loci, like things like who God is and who man is and who Jesus is. And you put them all together and you say, this is God and this is man and this is Jesus. And that's that's kind of cool. Then you can look at biblical theology that looks at more of the big story. But then we also look at the literary genius of the story. And it's an absolute beautiful story the way he tells it. Delight in the beauty of the story. Delight in the unity of the story. How can this be just one story? But over all this time, it really is an incredible unified story. A story that basically tells us of a God who creates everything out of nothing. It tells us a story of how we rebelled against him and fell into sin. It's a story of how God raises up a hero, his own son, to come and to to redeem us. It's a story of how God is going to drive away every tear and and finalize, take away death forever and an awesome consummation and party. It's a beautiful story that tells one overarching story. A lot of people criticize the Bible. A lot of people say, ah, a bunch of fables, a a bunch of this and that and the other thing. And I I often want to say, have you ever read it? I mean, not just part of it, but have you ever started in Genesis and made your way all the way to Revelation? And I think if you do, you will be amazed at at not only the literary beauty, you'll be amazed at the unity of this one story. You should delight in also the authenticity of God's story. What I love about the ultimate storyteller, God, is God chooses to airbrush none of his characters. He he chooses to to gloss over none of his characters. He he tells us the truth. It's so authentic. The ultimate prophet in the Old Testament was a guy named Moses. Moses was a sinner who would disqualify himself from even going into the promised land. Moses, who will say to God, don't, don't raise me up as a prophet. I, I mumble, I stutter, I, I can't even talk right. Then he raises up a priest named Aaron, this high priest that's supposed to stand before God and his people. And when things got bad, this high priest of God that God called to himself, you know what he did? He collected everybody's gold and he, he made a golden calf. And God's people bowed down worship and worshiped an idol that the high priest made. Then you got a guy named David. I mean, David, man, a man's man. David's like the coolest guy he could ever meet. I mean, the guy, he, he, he took Goliath down with a stone and a sling. I mean, David, he was a poet, he was a musician. He was ruddy and good looking, whatever that ruddy word means. But he had it. He had it all. David, you know what they say about David. He had a heart for God. Love David. You want to know about King David? He's an adulterer. He stole someone else's wife. He's an adulterer. And not only that, he he tried to cover his tracks by becoming a murderer. I mean, it's incredible. God says, here, here's the king I'm going to raise up. And by the way, he's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's an incredible sinner. You better hope for more than that. It's so authentic. And then you get to the New Testament. You get knuckleheads like Peter. Peter who were going to say, I will will die with you, Jesus. If everyone else denies you, I am going to stand with you to the end. And some little servant girl says, hey, by the way, weren't you with Jesus? Oh, I swear to God, I don't even know him. I mean, the, the beautiful authenticity of the story is someone came out of the early service and said, you can't read the Bible and not wonder who's the editor here. Because you would have added out a lot of the truth of the story here because really every single person you want to hold up as a hero falls and fails and you long for somebody else. And that's the point of the Bible, delight in the hero of God's story. The hero of God's story is, is Jesus. I mean, the story of the Bible it was all written about him. It was all fulfilled by him. It all finds its resolution in him. I mean, this is, this is a story with one hero. And the one hero of the Bible is God's son, Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, in Gospel uh, Luke 24, there's this story uh, on the road to Emmaus. And it's a story after Jesus' death and resurrection that these, these disciples of Jesus had gone to Jerusalem and they were hopeful that he was the promised Messiah. And they were hopeful that he was the one that they've all been waiting for. But they were there and they saw what Pilate and the Romans did to them. They were there and they saw that that this Jesus was was hung on a cross and crucified. They were there and they saw with their own eyes that this Jesus was killed. I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, God doesn't send a Messiah that's crucified. God doesn't send a a king that dies. Our hope can't be in a guy who dies on a criminal tree. And as they were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, appears and walks with them and says, hey, fellas, what are you guys talking about? Like, dude, you've been living under a rock. I mean, everybody knows about what's happening in Jerusalem. And as they were walking, here's what he does. He comes alongside them and he says that he starts to put together the story. He starts to prove to them all that the Moses and the prophets said. Everything in the Old Testament that was pointing to him, that the reality is that Jesus had to come and suffer. He had to come and die. He had to come and do these things. And you know what? The Holy Spirit came and he expanded their minds and their hearts became like Fire. And all of a sudden the story was one story and all of a sudden the story was so beautiful and everything about the story pointed to Jesus and their hearts burned because it all made sense. Hey, you, ever, you ever read God's word and just have it burn within you? Just have to realize that, that everything that was promised finds fulfillment in Jesus? That all the wrath that is said for our sins was absorbed by Jesus? That that everything that God says he's going to do is is now ours because of Jesus? You see, there's one hero of the story. It's all written about him. He would say, Moses and the prophets, they only pointed to me, Jesus would say. They only told my story. All fulfilled by him. Keep that law. He did it perfectly. And it all finds resolution in him. What grace. Delight in that beauty. Delight in that unity. Delight in the authenticity. Delight in the hero. But delight... In your place in the story. The story wasn't written about me. The story was written a long time ago in a, in a different world, in a different time. But it was written for me. Let me give you a little bit of help, a hermeneutical help of understanding your Bible, how to understand your Bible. And you when you read it, I know that Dave and Christy Gambrell right now are helping us in a Sunday series of reading our Bible when you read the story, especially the Old Testament, you often figure you're, you're focusing in on that world that they're describing, like maybe God's people in slavery or God's people going through the wilderness into the promised land. But when you really want the Bible to come alive, don't just read it in that world. Read it in their world. And what I mean by their world, there was a reason why like Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch, wrote what he wrote. And he was writing it to a specific audience for a specific reason. And when you read it in their world, for example, when he wrote to the Israelites who were going through the desert about the patriarchs that went before them, the story comes alive. It's so cool. But then you also have to pull in our world. In our world, what, what does the reality of Jesus's cross of Christ, what is the reality of Jesus coming make sense of this story? How does this story point to him? How does this story find resolution in him? And how does this story now find completion in me? I know that that was quick. I know it was a hermeneutical study in three seconds almost. But if you want to know the story of your Bible, it's so cool to think that world, their world, our world. Because it wasn't really written just for me, but it was written about me and you. Here's what Paul would write in Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see, the story of the Bible includes me. It reminds me that that you and I, we're beloved in Christ Jesus. It reminds us that that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Do you know the, the song, the hymn? This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior Oh, day long. Man, I started low. I couldn't go that far. <laughs> the reality, this is my story. And by God's grace, I see myself in it. By God's grace, when he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I'm like, that's me. By God's grace, when I see the story of, of those who were diseased with sin and brokenness, I said, it's me. When I read about Peter, who seems so bold and yet is such a <laughs> scaredy cat. And so prone to wander and so prone to fall. I say, it's me. When I read about someone like David who has a heart after God. And I long to have a heart after God. And yet still has such issues. I say, it's me. It's like seeing a family album. When you want to go and you see your face in the story. And say, that's me. I get it. This is my story. My story is that God made me in his image. And he's forever loved me in Christ Jesus. This is my story. I deserve none of God's love. And I receive all of it by his grace and in faith in Christ Jesus. This is my story, that Jesus would come, and he is my righteousness. He is my identity. This is my story. Jesus' blood was shed for my sins and makes me whiter than snow. This is my story. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and he will never take his hand off of me. This is my story. I'm going to make it home, not because I'm good, because he is faithful. This is my story you got to delight in God's word. Delight in the power of God's word. The creative power of God's word. If you're old enough like me, you probably remember this. You remember the ad when E.F. Hutton speaks? People listen. When E.F. Hutton speaks, a financial advisor in a company, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. But when God speaks, worlds leap into existence. When God speaks, creation was born. That's the story of the Bible. And he didn't have to collect a bunch of stuff that he was going to create with. God out of nothing, ex nihilo, according to the Bible, spoke and the world jumped into existence. What a thunderous voice he has. You see, delight in the power of God's word. It's God's word that has created you and all things. Delight in the recreative power of God's word, making us new in Christ Jesus. Through the word of God, he says, he is making all things new. Delighted in the personification of God's word. That, that God himself put on flesh. The word of God put on flesh and, and dwelt with us. The word, it says, he dwelt, he tabernacled. Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to the gospel of John. This is, this is the power of God's word. John 1, it's going to sound a little bit like Genesis 1. And there's a reason why. It says this. John 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him, through this word. Oh yeah, that's the story. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man. And in verse 14, and this eternal God, the second person of the triune God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The Jakes family put a lot of miles on uh, our vehicles. We travel, we have roots in upstate New York. We have family in North Carolina. Uh, We almost never fly. We almost always drive. People say, man, you have no problem driving, do you? I said, none. And usually I'm filled with, my car is filled with people I love. And one of the things we do is we listen to stories. We listen to stories. they're easy to download. Maybe you can download them on your iPad or get them at um, Cracker Barrel. But what I love most is I love listening to autobiographies. And the cool thing is, is when you get an autobiography that is read by the one who wrote it. I've gone through the Bill O'Reilly series, uh, Killing Lincoln, uh, Killing Kennedy, Killing Jesus, and Killing Patton. And they're actually read by, by him, O'Reilly. It's kind of cool. We also listen to Tina Faze, and that's not very good. Don't listen to that one with your kids, all right? It's funny. She's funny. But she's a little off color. But it's kind of cool because she's telling her own story. And so it's something nice when the voice of the one who's telling the story is the one. Isn't that right? The voice of the one who tells the story of God is Jesus. He is the word in flesh. He tells his own story the story of how he loves us and he sends the spirit for us to understand that story. Dig into God's word, not just delight, dig in. Dig into the word of God, not just dipping in. It says, the psalmist says that he not only delights in the law of the Lord, the word of God, he's meditating in God's word. And this this Hebrew word is a word for murmuring. He's he's murmuring. He's continually saying it's the same word used for the cooing of a dove or a lion who growls over its prey. Isn't that cool? He meditates. He's murmuring. He continually says it. He growls over it. He coos over it. God's word continually chewing it day and night. He's digging in personally. One thing that came out of the Reformation that was so glorious is the reality is the priesthood of all believers that, that you don't need the church to understand the Bible, although what God's called us to help explain it to you. You don't need a priest to go through. You could go to God right away and you have the ability and the right and the privilege to have God's word in your hand and you personally should be digging in. This is, this is a word that you should be getting to know. Typically, every year I buy a new Bible. It's around this time of year I get so excited for next year. Because as I buy a new Bible, I buy a new Bible, maybe a different translation, a different style. Maybe it's set up a little bit differently. But every year I want to read the story. And by God's grace, I don't know, 14, 15 years worth of reading God's story hasn't gotten old. And I can't wait for next year. Right now, I'm, in, I'm finishing up 2 Kings. Uh, I'm in Hosea, just finishing up Hosea. I'm in the book of Hebrews as I'm going through the story. I can't wait for next year. One of the things I feel God's calling me to do is spend more time in the Psalms and more time just soaking in this. So I bought, I'm, I'm big into leather. I bought a, a leather book of just the Psalms. I just feel like God's calling me to not just meditate, but to memorize and to try to learn and go a little bit slower through them. And maybe I'm going to do a little bit less devotional reading, a little bit more reading of God's word. Because why? Because personally, he's given me the privilege of digging in. And by God's grace, it's a story that never gets old. Not only are you supposed to dig in personally, it's not just about you and Jesus. It's you and community. This is God's story. And God's story is told to us in community. And community helps us understand it. It's why we have community groups. That's why we do it. I want you to picture us on an archaeological dig. If you go to an archaeological dig, should you send one archaeologist or should you send a whole group? Can you imagine going to a place and just have one that's trying to dig up the truth and trying to examine what it is? But when you all go and you're all digging, you're all sifting, you all think, whoa, look what we found together. That's supposed to be digging in community. Not just personally in the community, but also corporately. Corporately, we're gathering God's word. Part of what we're doing right here, we believe And the Reformation truth, sola scriptura, scripture alone. This and this alone is our authority. Although we've had two bishops join, they're not our authority. Our authority is God's word. It was 13 years ago, almost today, it it was November 3rd, 2002, when I preached my first ever sermon as your lead pastor. And the first words out of my mouth were similar words than these. I said, today I begin what I hope to be a 25-year sermon series on Jesus. And I want you to know I only have one story. I only have one story. I only really only have one sermon series. And if you've been hanging around Orangewood for a while, you may think that my preaching sounds hauntingly familiar. I think I've heard this before. Because all I have... Is Jesus, but when we preach Jesus, we got to preach the full counsel of God's word. We got to tell the whole story of God. It's one story, one story, one hero. But the reason that we are in Genesis, the reason we preach through Ruth, the reason we preach through Ecclesiastes or Second Corinthians or anything in God's word, it's all one story that's to be preached and told to God's people. But remember, it's got one hero and one point of our love for him in Christ Jesus. Dig in, delight, and do God's word. Doing versus dismissing. We're called to be not just hearers of God's word, but to be doers. Romans 2.13. We gotta read Romans 2.13 because it, it might sound a, a, a little bit different at first. It says this, Romans 2.13 For it is not the hearers of the law or the word who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Wow. It's basically saying I'm not justified just by hearing God's word. I'm justified by doing God's word. But it's clear through Paul, clear through scripture, that the doing of God's word that is ultimate. Listen to this. You can't miss this. The doing of God's word that is ultimate is believing in God's word. Believing in God's son. We are justified by God's grace alone. We're justified by faith alone. We're justified in Christ alone. And doing God's word begins with believing in God's word. James 1, verses 22 through 25 says this, that we need to be doers of the word. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We are blessed as we execute God's word. Jesus himself in Matthew 4.4 4 will quote Deuteronomy 8.3. And he will say this. He will say that, that man doesn't live by bread alone. That life is more than just the things of this earth. Man doesn't live on bread alone. But man lives on every word that proceeds from God's mouth. If you want to have life, if you want to have life as God intends you to have it, you've got to bow your knee to the word of God and his son and live the word of God. And that's what Psalm one's about. Psalm one is one who delights in God's word. Psalm one is one who digs into God's word. And Psalm one is one who bears fruit because of living God's word. The fruit that is in season and out of season and avoids sin. Anybody like Hollyanna? Hollyanna fruits? Maitland, come on. Any Hollyanna fans here? Love that place. It's on 1792. You gotta go. It's one of, you know, central Florida's little perfect places of, of reminding us of history. Hollyanna fruits. Hollyanna stand just opened back up. It's a reminder that you can go get great grapefruit grown locally. You can get some orange juice. You can get oranges or whatever. It's coming. It's a season of fruits. And when it closes around tax time, we get a little depressed and we just long for it to come back again. Well, the psalmist says this. Listen, bear fruit in season. There may be seasons in your life that feel dry. There may be seasons in your life that are hard. But as you're digging in God's word, as you're delighting in God's word, He will be faithful. And fruit will come in its season. It says to avoid the sin because that is not your story. How is it with you? Are you a doer of God's word? Are you delighting in God's word? Are you digging into God's word? This week, uh, on Tuesday, we had our Presbytery meeting. We gathered as PCA ministers in Central Florida. We gathered up in Deland uh, at Emanuel Presbyterian Church in Deland. Beautiful little spot, cool place in the world. And their head pastor is a friend of mine named Mike. Mike's got one of the coolest stories I know. I mean, Mike came to Christ at Cal Berkeley as a student. Who comes to Christ at Cal Berkeley, right? Hey, He comes to Christ. Listen, you got to hear the story. He comes to Christ at Cal Berkeley in an English literature class. It had nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. Well, everything does. But it really, on the surface really was not about the Bible, was not about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as the story unfolded, the greater story, the story that all stories ultimately point to, the story of the good news of the gospel, just became real in his life. That the Holy Spirit came and he had eyes to see and ears to hear. And he came to Christ in that class. He went on and became a successful lawyer in the Seattle area. But God wasn't done with him and called him to seminary. It was at there that I met Mike at RTS Orlando, and we both loved baseball, and we both had a love for Japan, and we started to get to know one, one another, and kind of cool, I went to Orangewood, he went to Emanuel Prez. This summer, Mike, a very fit, maybe 53-year-old, was doing what he loves to do, biking, and as he was biking, apparently suffered a heart attack, and was on the side of the road for a good amount of time, was found by some first responders that helped revive him, and um, his, his life has been pretty grim for several months. Touch and go for a long time. Kind of losing memory. Uh, seeing Mike at Presbytery was very, very hard. I love his wife Maria by his side, just kind of helping him navigate. It was at a break that I was able to go and reintroduce myself to Mike. Mike, you and I went to seminary together, we did. And I was standing with a seminary professor. I said, you know, Mike, you got through seminary by looking at my paper. I'm just telling you right now. And, and the professor was like, no, you didn't. But it was like one of those awkward moments that you think humor might be a good thing to have in that awkward moment of reintroducing yourself to someone you know and love. But there was a joy still in Mike's face. There was a hope, and he embraced me, and he loved me because Jesus was still part of his story. He may never preach a sermon again. I don't know. And it's a reminder of the reality of our story to be a tragic, painful story at times. But if it's his story, the story forever has hope. It was at Presbytery that the word extraordinary was used. And I thought about that word extraordinary. We're going to close with this. Extraordinary. There's an extraordinary love of God that would come and rescue you. There's an extraordinary son named Jesus who would die for your sins. There's an extraordinary reality that we are now his forgiven and loved children of God through the extraordinary grace and love and mercy of God. But I thought about the reality is I think he's just calling me to be extra ordinary. Just be ordinary. Somebody who hears God's word delights in it. Be ordinary. Just get into a community. Be ordinary. Get into a church. Be ordinary. Just know and love God and submit to him a little bit more every day. Just do the ordinary thing a little bit extra. Where are you with God's word? At MCP this last week, they heard and experienced the story of Green Eggs Ham. In our worship service, we hear and experience the story of God. And this is my story. And I'm in love with Jesus of Nazareth. In any location, in any time, in any place. Because of his love that has forever transformed me. May I be extraordinary because of that. Let us pray. And Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is powerful enough to create all things and your word is powerful enough to recreate a sinner like me. Thank you that your word put on flesh, Jesus put on flesh the hero of your story and came to rescue us. And God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit allows us to see that hero clearly and to see ourselves rightly in your story. That we are yours and that we are loved and that we are forgiven and that we are free. And God, because of your extraordinary love and your extraordinary grace, may we be a people that just do the extraordinary, delighting in your word, digging in your word, doing your word because, well, we're yours and we're loved and we're called to be more like the hero Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.